Welcome everyone to the Follow the Yogi podcast. I'm Vicki Santana, your host. Join me every week while I'll share with you mind-blowing secrets of the practice of yoga, the philosophy of it, the physical practice of it, and I tie it all together so we can apply these secrets to our lives. Stay tuned. You might just find a little gem that will change your life. And now, on to our next dose of Follow the Yogi. During the last two days during my meditation practices, inevitably, a few minutes into it, I got an itch. Of course, it would be right near my eyes. Now, this is the area that's pretty hard to ignore because I'm focusing on my third eye, so this itch is happening in the neighborhood of that area. Just like I do with any other part of my practice, when I have a physical sensation that tries to draw me away from my practice, I actually use it to strengthen my mental fortitude away from that sensation. Here's what I've noticed. Every single time, if I sit with it, I don't need to scratch. The actual itch goes away on its own with absolutely zero effort. Every time. Now speaking from a yoga perspective, our mind has four components. We've got manas, which is the primitive mind, and it takes sensory inputs. We've got the ego, which is how we see ourselves and act based on things that are stored inside of the mind. And we have chitta, which is the repository of all these things. Now above all of these three components, we have the buddhi, which is our higher intellect. Fun fact, the Buddha is named because he accessed his buddhi. Buddhi is spelled B-U-D-D-H-I, not B-O-O-T-Y. Just saying, peeps. Now, if we could see inside of our subconscious, our reaction, and I stress the word reaction to the outside world, is actually quite predictable. If we could only see the samskaras or the deeply entrenched habitual patterns that we have in our unconscious mind, we could actually see that how we respond and more often than not react to the outside world is incredibly predictable. If we pay attention, we'll also notice that there's very little space between the thought, emotion, and our reaction to the outside world. I keep using the word reaction because when we're doing something unconsciously, when we're doing something automatically, we're reacting. Now, far too often we're reacting instead of discerning and deciding the course of action that would best suit us. So a reaction is a pre-programmed solution to an external trigger where discernment is where we pause for a moment and we actually give it some thought. So instead of reacting from that discernment, we decide on the course of action. Think of it as the itch and the scratch. The moment we have an inch, we automatically unconsciously scratch it. It makes total sense. But I use it as a training tool because the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. Think of it. If we tend to every single itch, in this case, an emotion, thought, situation, the same way with an unconscious scratch, a reaction, words, solutions, how do we know if we needed to do it that way or if we even needed to scratch it at all? In our morning meditations on vickysantana.com on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6.30 a.m., 
we conduct breath exercises. One of the exercises calls for us to pause after the inhale and exhale. You see, the breath has actually five parts to it, but for simplicity, we'll just address three, the inhale, the exhale, and the pause in between. The pause of breath, especially at the end of our exhale, leads into this whole putting space between the itch and the scratch. If you notice, we tend to rush the inhale. Because we're rushing it and doing it this way over a lifetime, it also tends to be incredibly shallow. Our exhales are much longer than our inhales, which is odd because the inhale is what we need to thrive. We're inhaling so shallow that we're finding ourselves surviving instead of thriving. Think of it this way. The itch is survival and the scratch is the inhale. We put no space between the two and find ourselves satisfying the rudimentary need, but not allowing ourselves to thrive. When we teach ourselves to pause between the inhale and exhale, we teach ourselves at a very profound level that we can put some space between the problem and the solution, the emotion and the action, the thought and the reaction. When we cultivate this pause, we're allowing ourselves to override the automatic lizard brain reaction and allow ourselves the space to actually access our higher intellect, our buddhi. I call it a pause button. It feels like this buffer of air between what just happened externally and how I'm going to move the manifest world. I literally create space between me and the external world and witness it instead of acting as if I'm from it. It might sound silly, but that's the image that comes to my mind where I can actually witness the manifest world. I can witness also myself. The two are not intertwined with each other, although there is synchronicity. So I'm not a prisoner of the trigger of the outside world. In other words, I don't have to respond. But I can take that pause button, take a step back, take a breath, and discern and decide a course of action. Far too many times in my life, I reacted. Instead of taking that step back, instead of discerning and deciding, a lot of cleanup has had to been done because a lot of reacting was being done. One of the most surprising things is that very often, I don't need to do anything. Many things actually don't need my assistance or my action, and many things resolve on their own without immediate attention from me. If you've ever had an email that someone sent you and it sat in your inbox for a really long time, you've experienced this. Now, at the moment that you got the email, it might have seemed important, but not important enough to be able to tend to it. You had other priorities, so you let it sit there. Because you didn't tend to it, maybe some of these things happened. Number one, the person that needed action on your part comes back to you and asks that of you again because it is an important thing, at least for them. Then you discern and decide how you're going to react, if at all. Or it could just fall by the wayside because it resolves itself. That person found someone else to take care of it. Or number three, it really wasn't a genuine need or something that had to be done by you so you find yourself just deleting the email. I mean, if you've deleted emails that are years old, you've experienced this. Think of how much energy, think about how much time 
is spared if we could just wait to see what's really needed to be tended to and how it would best be tended to for the greater good. Remember, when I speak of the greater good, this refers to us and others in that order. When teaching ourselves to pause our breath, we also allow ourselves to live in that sacred space. You see, the most sacred space for me is the space between the inhale and the exhale. In the quietness of the pause, I experience the profound sensation of deep relaxation and awareness. Now, this is something that happens over time. Now, as the practice of kumbhaka, which is breath retention, deepens, time feels like it folds on top of itself. Answers come, emotions no longer pull at us, and we can hear the sweet chime of our inner voice. It's also at this moment that I'm closest to the divine. And over time, that space widens naturally. We don't have to force it. And our need to take more frequent inhales goes away. And that rhythm, that space, also starts seeping into the rest of our life. Notice how when I started this podcast, my words were coming out pretty quickly. I noticed my breath was a little breathy because I was all excited about getting on and talking with you all. But as I got into the rhythm of it, as I became more inspired, as I even just started talking about the breath and the space, my whole rhythm changed, softened, and it's coming all from a different place than my egoic mind. Now, as you deepen your study of yourself, where can you put space between input and output? Where can you put space between the itch and the scratch? Here's just some suggestions. As always, the suggestions or the possibilities are endless, but here are just a few to get you started. Resist moving again. As you settle into stillness in your meditation practice or in Shavasana, every time we physically move, every time we tend to a physical sensation, we keep ourselves in this uh, cycle of inhale and exhale with little space in between. How about this? Resist the actual scratching of the itch, swallowing of your post-nasal drip, when you're sitting in meditation, I'm telling you when I first started and someone would have said, don't swallow, it would have driven me crazy because it felt like I was swallowing like a million times during my meditation practice. But over time, I did teach myself that I didn't have to tend to every itch, every sensation, every post-nasal drip. I just didn't. And over time, I became desensitized and reprogrammed. Put space between hearing someone's problem and rushing to solve it for them. This is a good one, especially those of you that have really big hearts. You hear a friend in need. They tell you something that's going on in their life, and we want to help. We want to solve it for them. So we rush off and we find the solution for them. And then we're kind of hurt when we realize after circling back to the person, 
that maybe they were just venting in the actual problem that they were telling us about so passionately wasn't really a problem. They never really asked us to solve it for them. So we come back with a solution and it's either not the solution that they want, not a solution that's even needed anymore because 24 hours or so has passed and they've resolved it either themselves or they came to realize that it wasn't something that needed. They just were looking for a sounding board. When you have an idea, a creative thought, something that you want to do and implement, schedule it instead of dropping what you're doing right now. Too many times we do get inspired, but we get caught up in the emotion of that inspiration. And instead of finishing the task that we're doing at the moment that we had an inspirational emotion about in the past, instead of finishing that, we drop what we're doing and we start something else. And then we find ourselves with a multitude of things that are started and stopped, all of them in the meh feeling category. So instead of indulging in that immediate emotion, immediate gratification, put a pause, schedule it, and then commit to doing it in the future, you might just find out that after that infatuation feeling is gone, it might not be something that you actually need to uh, indulge in. Literally put your hand over your mouth when you want to verbally retaliate out of anger. What? Yeah. It's really hard to clean up the mess. It's really hard to unring a bell once it's been sounded. So if you need to, Put your hand over your mouth when you want to verbally retaliate against someone. Put some space between what was done, how you're feeling about it. Let that simmer down a little bit and then maybe respond. We don't always, shocker I know, need to respond to every single thing that is said to us. Because I promise you, if you're coming from your higher intellect, you don't need to indulge in the mental war of he said, she said. And how about put 24 hours between the angry text or email you're about to send to make your point? Again, if we're coming from our higher intellect, we're rising above the ego, we're rising above our emotions, we're rising above this need of forcing other people to understand where we're coming from. And if we're doing it from a place of anger, if we're doing it from a place of fear, we're doing it from a place of sadness. And when we do things out of fear, sadness, we're not thinking clearly. Even if we sit there and methodically write it out, chances are if we're, if we're doing it because we're scared of something and we want to be heard, it won't get us the results that we want. Now, like I said before, the possibilities are endless. I want you to think of some for yourself because all of us are individuals. All of us have different things that we need to put space in between. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It's my life purpose to help us understand the old teachings and how to bring them into our lives in very simple ways. Here's the most brilliant thing. Understanding, implementing, and connecting these simple concepts into our lives starts this snowball effect that will naturally lead to another concept that will naturally seep into another component of our life. 
because think of your yoga practice as the nucleus of your entire life. The way you do your practice and the things that you learn in your practice are things, tools that we can take into the rest of our life, into all of our roles and responsibilities to help us lead a fuller life. Now, if you want to learn more, join us on vickysantana.com, V-I-K-K-Y-S-A-N-T-A-N-A.com. We have live yoga classes, guided meditation sessions, online teacher training programs if you want to learn to be a yoga teacher. And in 2021, we're adding pre-recorded classes of all types and live kid yoga classes. And that's just the beginning. So follow me on Instagram at Vicky Santana Yoga or on Facebook, Vicky Santana. Until next time, peeps, deuces. Deuces.